Anna asked if I teach, and uh, man, it is like, this is a privilege. Like one of the things that I've loved about being on staff is I've seen the pockets of ministry of Christ Pres that I just, I didn't get to see when I was a campus minister. And being, one of my jobs is overseeing the different ministries. And so I've just sat in on a lot of the morning Wednesday stuff and seen, and it's just awesome. Like uh, so many of y'all are involved so, from different backgrounds, from different places, and just seeing uh, the work that God's doing through this, it's awesome. So when she asked me, I was like, absolutely. Uh, so thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me be here. So let me, uh, let me pray. Uh, we got a lot of ground to cover. Father, uh, thank you first of all for these women uh, that they chose to be here. And so uh, what would be a blessing is if we hear your word and uh, we come to a better understanding and love of Jesus. Uh, so would you do that? Would you uh, cut through kind of uh, doubts or shame or guilt uh, and enable us to believe uh, the good news uh, that sounds too good to be true? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, all right, let me start with this kind of story. Uh, this is from a book, uh, Strong Father, Strong Daughters. And uh, it, it said this, at 18, Ansley uh, left for Ivy League College. Uh, during her sophomore year, for reasons she still can't explain to this day, she said she just went wild. And she was eventually kicked out of this Ivy League uh, school, and so she had to call home, tell her parents what happened, and that she was driving home. So on that long trip back home, she was just dreading having to see her parents. And she said when she pushes open the door uh, in the kitchen, first she sees her mom, and her mom has clearly been crying, kind of puffy eyes. And she is so nervous about seeing her dad because she knows he's going to be angry. And when she turns and sees him, she said, I expected my father's face to be angry and disappointed. And instead, it was calm and kind. And he leaned forward and said, are you all right? And she said she just lost it. Because at this moment, she realized my dad wasn't concerned with what family and friends would think. Wasn't even concerned about how the expulsion would change her future, though it might. He was just worried about her. And she said it was 30 years ago from when she wrote this book. And she said, it still feels fresh, the love that I felt on that, that night. And then she said this. She said, in those moments when I walked through the door, I got a glimpse of who I was in my dad's eyes. And I knew that, listen, it's not, I knew that not what I accomplished is what he cherished, but me. So when you hear that little story, I, I hope it resonates, because what you realize is she experienced uh, a love, a, a status, a standing with her dad that had nothing to do with her performance, with her successes, with her failures. And to the extent that that just like feels like good news, that is a glimmer, like a glimpse of of, this, of what Paul is talking about in Romans 3, 4, and 5. Because Anna started into it last week, and really 4 and 5 hammer home this, this same truth, that God has made a way for His people to be right with Him. God smiled to be upon you, you to be fully accepted, your, your position to be secure with Him, and it have nothing to do with your successes or failures nothing to do with your performance at all, simply having to do with him and who he is and what he's done. 
That is the big word, justification by faith alone. And all, Romans 4 and 5 is saying, look, this is how God has always worked. He always keeps his promises. This is how he saves. So it is two chapters. I'm only going to read some sections of it and try to take a big theme. Uh, so I'm going to read Romans 4, 1 through 12. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can follow along. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. Uh, okay, so Paul starts off, like imagine this, right? He's writing a letter. I've talked about this, a book. He sends it to church or churches in Rome. He's never met them. He's hoping to get there, and he's detailing that what makes someone right with God, what puts somebody on God's good side, that God smiles upon them, has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has nothing to do with how well you've kept God's law. It has everything to do with what, who Jesus is and what he's doing. And so you can imagine people in this church hearing it, especially people whose background were Jewish, okay, and thinking, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> uh, we, the Jewish people, are God's people. Like, we have the Ten Commandments. We have the law. We're descendants of Abraham. We, we're King David, the great, the great king is ours. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, there's no distinction Jew-Gentile. What do you mean obedience to the law isn't the ultimate point? You're saying Jesus is the point. You, you just kind of imagine them kind of saying, are you sure? Like, I'm not sure our forefathers would agree with that. And look what Paul does. So he calls in two witnesses, if you will, for his case, Abraham, who is the father of the faith, this giant figure, uh, right, uh, in, in Old Testament history, and David, the greatest of Israelites' kings. And he shows that these revered fathers of, of, of them, Abraham and David, both were made right with God, saved from God's wrath, they got on God's good side by faith alone in Christ alone. They might not have been able to tell you the name Christ, but they were trusting in him. And so look, this is what he does, right? In verse 1 through 3, he says, okay, let's look at Abraham. If Abraham were saved by his works, by something he did, he'd have something to boast about. But he says he didn't. And he quotes from Genesis 15, where it says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. The context is God had made a promise to Abraham that he, would he and Sarah would have a child, and through that child, a nation would form and the whole world would be blessed. Okay, so God makes that promise. The problem is Abraham in Genesis 15 is 100, and Sarah is like 90, I think, okay? 
bodies in some ways work the same way back then than they do today. <laughs> if, if they were childless at 90, it's probably not happening. And so he's having struggle, he's struggling to believe God's promise. And he's asking God about this. And God reiterates his promise. And he does this amazing ceremony to reiterate. We don't have time to talk about it. And after that, it says, Abraham believed God and immediately counted as righteous. Immediate status transferred that he is right before God. He is righteous. Not because he was righteous, but because he believed. All right? And then he contrasts it with someone who works for a wage. So imagine, right, you agree to work, I don't know, this Saturday, Pat Patterson, who just hires everybody in town, says, hey, I got a job for you. Uh, work six hours for me, and I'll pay $120. You're like, got it. So imagine you do that work for six hours, you work hard, and you go see Pat, and Pat hands you a $120 check and says, I'm feeling re really generous. Here's a gift from me to you. I would be insulted. I'd be wait, no, like, that's what I worked for. That's not a gift. I earned it, right? But Paul is saying his, Abraham's righteousness is not, it wouldn't be counted as a gift if he did something. No, it's a gift because it was credited to him. It's, it's, it's given freely to him on account of faith. And then he points to King David, uh, who quotes Psalm 32, and David is rejoicing in the forgiveness of God. And look how David uh, puts it. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count, same word, his sin. David had failure. David had shame. David had sin. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. That was his performance. And yet God made a way for his failure, his sin, not to count against him, though that's who he was. So this is the picture, okay? Being righteous before God, being in right standing, having his full acceptance, his full smile, is a status given to you, conferred upon you, but it doesn't inherently belong to you. It's something that comes to you. Because what inherently belonged to David, his guilt. But God made a way for him to be accounted not guilty. What inherently belonged to Abraham is he was not righteous. But God counts him as righteous. It treats him as if he lived a righteous life on account of faith. Okay, I have, uh, you'll hear me talk about all my family today. I have a 10-year-old son. His name's Clark. If, um, if you've been to any football game, Ole Miss football game, this is not an overstatement. If you've been to an Ole Miss football game this year, you have seen my son. He gets on the jumbotron every single time. That is not a dad exaggeration. He does it. He, is, he has so much passion. He is convinced that his role is to fire up the rest of the crowd, and he's convinced the team needs him every time. And, and he plays his role, okay? And so his new kind of dream job that he's been talking about is he wants to be his school's mascot, okay? And for him, that's a lion. It could be an Oxford Charger, which is a horse. But what he wants, because he's watched these mascots, what happened is as soon as they put on this costume, <laughs> that person is no longer seen. Instead, everybody responds to the costume and everybody cheers and everybody applauds. And because that's what Clark wants. He just wants people to cheer for him. And he realizes the costume covers the person. It doesn't matter who's inside. It doesn't matter how worthy that person's inside. What people see is the costume and they credit that person 
with the, with the lion status or the charger status or whatever it is, right? And Paul is saying this is how the one, tri- one true triune God has always worked. Justification has always been a gift received by faith and the way to be right, the way to be treated as if I have no sin and treated as if I'm fully righteous is you receive it by faith. You, hopefully it says it here, so you put on the mascot of Jesus. It gets projected on you and, and God sees Jesus. <laughs> That's why Martin Luther said we're saved by an alien righteousness that is not our own, but it covers me. I'm still the same on the inside in many ways, but it doesn't matter. The mascot has covered me, and that's my status. That's my standing. And see, here's the truth that, I, that I'd like to try to press home. Everybody has faith. When the Bible, most of the Bible's commands, when they tell us to do something, it's actually, it, it's telling us to redirect things we're already doing. So, <clears throat> I quote Brian Habig a lot, like, when the Bible tells us to meditate, we think, gosh, that sounds so religious and spiritual and meditate, right? I don't know how to do that. Actually, everybody meditates. It's just part of, part of how God made you. Meditation is just simply taking something in your mind, rolling it over until it affects your emotions and your mind and all that. And what you realize is worry is a form of meditation. And we all do it. It's just life-draining meditation. And so the Bible tells you to meditate. It's not telling you to do something new. It's just telling you to redirect it to truth, to who God is and who we are. When the Bible tells you to have faith in Christ, it's not telling you to figure out how to do something you haven't done. Everybody has faith. Everybody is trusting in something to make ourselves feel acceptable, to make ourselves uh, feel okay before, honestly, others, before ourselves, and ultimately before God. The question is... Are you trusting in Jesus? Or are you trusting in something else? But everybody has faith. And the, and the most natural thing to have faith in is ourselves, or what, uh, what the Bible calls works. And so the question of Romans 4 is, what are you trusting in? Is it yourself or is it Jesus? There's an old evangelism technique called um, evangelism explosion. There's a pastor in Florida named uh, James Kennedy who came up with it. And it's, it's a great tool for diagnostics, okay? It is, this is not what's gonna happen when we die, okay? And he's not trying to say that, but this, first question is, if you were to die tonight, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Second question is this. Okay, again, this is not how it's gonna happen, but it's a diagnostic word. If you stand in, you know, before heaven's gates and Jesus looks at you and you says, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? You can think to yourself right now, what would I say? You could discuss this in small group. The most common answer across the board, in the United States at least, the top three answers, you know what they were? Why should I let you in? Because, I've, because I believe the Bible and I believe in Jesus and I try to, do my, try to follow him. Second, I've tried my best to be a good Christian. The third most common answer, because I believe in God with all my heart. Those are the three most common answers. Do you, hear, do you hear where all those answers are ultimately pointing? I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm believing and doing as well. I'm believing with all my heart. The direction of faith is me at some level. And see, say, saving faith, the opposite of saving faith is actually trust in self. And the reason that saving faith uh, is not a work because it's finally giving up on yourself. 
and trusting and resting in Jesus. And so saving faith doesn't save you because like God looks at your faith and is like, man, that's some great faith, Brian. It has, it has, no, it has no value. It's like a windshield. Faith is just what are you looking through to it? Uh, what are you looking through? What's the object you're looking at? It, and so saving faith is just, it's in the right object. It's in Jesus. And so the opposite of, of faith in self is saving faith because I've quit working and I believe in the one who justifies the ungodly. I believe in the one who has done it. So saving faith distrusts my own work and trusts in him. And so that kind of, here, here's the question when you think about, honestly, where do you turn in your kind of mind, if you will, when you've really blown it? Like, how do you calm your conscience? How do you kind of say, okay, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay with God. I'm, you know, whatever, you make yourself feel better. Or, or maybe something in your past that still haunts you. How, like, how do you put yourself at ease? Right? We had a family vacation this weekend. And if you ever had where, like, you just know it's going to be a great vacation, and then it just fell apart one night, and you found yourself yelling at your kids and your wife, and you're like, dang it, I did it. I did this last night. I had to apologize to my kids for the way I talked to, to Liza. And I just am like, man, how, like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> okay, where do you go with that? Because if, if, if you calm your conscience, conscience by saying, okay, well, I was having a bad day. That's, that's why I yelled. Or yes, I did that five years ago, but I, I'm a different person now, so I'm okay. Or I can't believe I looked at that or said that but at least I, like, think about the words that I sing in church. Or at least I come to church. What do you fill in the blank with to kind, of, to kind of soothe your conscience? Because what you start realizing is all that is kind of a form of trusting in yourself. And you'll find no stability there. Justification by faith alone and a righteous credit says this, okay. <laughs> Even if I had not blown it this weekend and yelled at my family in the minivan on Sunday night, even if I hadn't done that, I would be no less acceptable and loved and right with God. I wouldn't be. Because that's not my hope. My hope is that God justifies the ungodly, and I'm ungodly. So that promise is for me. My hope was never in how well I do a family vacation or how much my life has changed or fill in the blank. It's in Jesus. That's what I mean by, and what Paul means, that it is a, it is a not works, but faith in Christ and what he's done. So then you get this, right, this incredible news. That's by far my longest point, by the way. God's made a way for you to be right with him immediately and forever and have nothing to do with your performance or how bad or good you are. But here's kind of, sometimes we hear that and we're like, okay, got it. Jesus took my sin. Jesus uh, has credited me to righteous. And it just feels abstract. And Paul's like, no, like this actually changes you. And look what he says in, uh, I'm going to read the first five verses of chapter five. He says, therefore, since, right, here's what, here's what begins to happen. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance 
And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the rest of chapter 4, he's more talking about Abraham and how Abraham got so old he didn't, didn't trust his body to do the work. He couldn't do it anymore, so he trusts God. And he says, here's the benefits that come to those who are justified by faith, who are right with God because of what Jesus has done. And he says, first, you have peace with God. Right? It's verse 1. So what that means is not everyone is at peace with God. Right? What do we mean when we say uh, the United States is at peace or there's peace in the Middle East? That's what we want. What we are saying is that if there's peace, nations are not at war with each other anymore. And the whole first two and a half chapters of Romans, right? I heard Anna talk about this, is telling us that actually we come into this world lost. We come into this world in rebellion against God actually at war with them. Because we said we want to be our own king. We want to say what's right or wrong. And his wrath is real. But justification by faith alone in Christ alone means there, is, there can be peace that is not achieved by me and what I've done and promises I've made or what my life looks like, but achieved by Jesus. But, and it's an objective reality for the Christian because of what Jesus has done. Because what happened is Jesus goes to the cross and he, he gets credited with my sin. Though inherently he is not sinful and he never sinned. But he gets imputed with, covered with my sin. Jesus looks so much like me on a cross that he gets treated exactly as I deserve and you deserve. And the war of God or the wrath of God comes out on Jesus so that there's none left for me and you. So when our sin gets accounted to Jesus, and this is God the Father's plan because He loves us so much, there's no hostility left for you. And what I want you to hear is that means if you're a Christian, God is not angry with you. Like, He's not. One of my favorite movies uh, is a movie called The Natural, Robert Redford, Glenn Close from like the 80s. He's a baseball player. I will say that Robert Redford is an incredibly good-looking good man. Uh, that's one of the ones that I get. And in this one, right, he is this, he is this phenom baseball player, um, Roy Hobbs, and kind of has all the glamour, all the fame, and he gets kind of uh, life-twisted with kind of a mob kind of boss and a, and a bad news kind of uh, girl that he's going after who ends up as a serial killer and shoots him. It's kind of crazy. And so that, that right, takes his life down. <laughs> But then 20, about 18 years later, he tries to make a return to baseball as this kind of like 37-year-old man. And he's doing it again. And he's, he's, he's making this team, and he's becoming the star of the team. He's starting to get fame again. And rises at the pinnacle, his stomach starts bleeding, and he can't play anymore because that's where he had gotten shot, and the bullet is still there. And so he's in the hospital <laughs> realizing that kind of everything I hoped is coming for an end again. And Glenn, Glenn Close, the, the girl he's kind of fallen in love with, is comforting him, and he just has this somber look on his face as he realizes it's over again. He just says, well, I guess some mistakes I guess we never stop paying for. Because he's thinking about his past life and the decisions that he made, and he's like, okay, I knew it. I knew this was too good to be true. And I think that's how we think, that things that we've done in our past, when bad stuff happens, we think, well, I guess, I guess life is finally catching up to me. I, I knew those things that I did finally, like, God is mad, mad at me. 
I knew that was going to happen. God is making me pay for what I did. And look, God is not angry with you. It's, he's not. The, the right standing says, in Jesus says no. He's not angry. Whatever go, is going on in your life is not the hostility of God. It's not. You're at peace with Him. So we even say things like, I think God's trying to get my attention. I, if God wanted to get your attention, He could, okay? <laughs> like, He is not at war with you. And then he says, we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. So this is the language of actually being brought into a warm, close, personal relationship with someone. So, yes, justification, my sin is not counted against me because it's been counted to Jesus. But the other side is that Jesus lived a perfect life for 33 years. Never yelled at his kids in the minivan. Whatever, you know, always loved people uh, perfectly. And that gets credited to me, though I'm not inherently righteous, it covers me. So my sin covers Jesus, his, his righteousness gets counted to me, which means now God's favor is upon me. Like, it's not just there's no hostility, you're counted as righteous as Jesus, and his favor is on you. He loves you, he's for you, I, he actually likes you. I think a lot of times we think God loves me, but he doesn't like me. He likes you. Like, He wants to be near you. Like, have you ever been in a room with somebody where you don't really know where you stand with them? You kind of think they, they don't like you? <laughs> Maybe they're not, like, openly angry, but you're just like, I just don't know what this person thinks of me. That drives me crazy. I, like, I either avoid that person or, like, I'm, like, too friendly or, uh, you know, I... Whatever, because I just want to know where I stand with this person. But it makes me incredibly insecure. All right? Well, think about this. One of the most intimate things that, that you do, if you do this, would be prayer. Okay? What do you think the Lord of this universe thinks of you when you pray, honestly? And could it be that one of the reasons that we struggle with prayer and we struggle with sticking with it <laughs> is because we don't know what the Lord thinks of us when we pray? Because I think when I pray that the Lord's kind of like, oh, okay, <laughs> now you're coming to see me because you need something. Or, really, we're going to talk about this again? That's justification by works language. Justification by faith in Christ alone means He is for you. He delights you. God delights in you talking to Him more than you ever delight in Him. He does. He just loves that you're there. And when I hear that, I'm like, okay, that actually makes me want to pray a little bit. <laughs> That's who he is. He's for you. And then he says, right, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we rejoice in suffering. So the glory of God, again, that sounds kind of religiously Christian-y. It's a great word. It's a biblical word. Glory is it's his weightiness. It's the fullness of who he is, his character, his beauty. It's it's seeing his, his face, his smile upon you. The teaching of the Scripture is this, that if you were to see God's smile right now in all its glory, it would actually crush us. In the same way that if you were to stare at the sun right now, it would literally destroy your eyes because, because you can't bear it. <laughs> if the full face of God was to look at us right now and smile upon us in our condition with still sin and these, these kind of wearing down bodies, it would actually destroy us. But you were made for that. You were made to bear the smile of God. And because justification is a gift, 
not according to your doing, but by faith in Jesus, your future is actually guaranteed. You will see the face of God and you will bear his smile. And it won't destroy you because you will become like him. And here's the deal. That's not dependent on us being faithful enough to the end <laughs> or becoming enough like Jesus before we die. Actually, the position is secure because it's in Jesus. It's his justification. So that even death, right, that great enemy death, and it is an enemy. All it can do for a believer is usher you into Jesus' presence, usher you into that smile. And it makes me think about like people like Sam Jennings that just died or Jack H. People, like death had no hold over them. We are sad that he's gone, but all it did is ushered him into the glory of God, which is why the, the, the term in the New Testament for when believers die, it's not death, it's they go to sleep, which is really cool. Um, now, I still hate death, and we want it to go away, but that's how sure it is. And that's why Paul can say justification by faith means you can actually rejoice in suffering. He doesn't say we rejoice about suffering. He doesn't say that we love pain. Uh, God doesn't delight in our pain and trouble, and nor should we. But he's, he's saying if, it, if this is true, that I'm right with God eternally, forever, His smiles upon me because of what Jesus has done, that means whatever suffering is going on in my life, it's not because God is being hostile towards me. God is also for me. His smile is upon me. He likes me. And I have a guaranteed future, which means somehow, some way, this suffering is bringing me closer to that future. And it's coming through God's hands. I can't explain it all. And it's still terrible. But what suffering does is it, it increases your hope in Jesus because that's the object of my faith. And honestly, most of the time, the object of my faith is my own comfort or my own money or my family health or whatever else. And suffering touches those things and pushes you back into the actually only one who really uh, is our comfort, Jesus. And so it, there's a rejoicing in what is coming and suffering is bringing that about. The only illustration I know, this look. Women are tougher than men. Women are tougher than men. I say this all the time. And the reason you know this is childbirth, okay? I've watched Liza give birth to Shelby, Annie, and Clark, and it's amazing because it's, I don't know how anybody does it, but every time after Liza's had our, our kids, afterwards, she acts like it wasn't that bad. And I'm like, I was there. It was horrible. <laughs> but she acts like it's not that bad because she's holding our child. And that was worth it. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an endurance in suffering because they know what's coming about. That's what Paul's saying. There's an endurance in suffering because of justification. It's sure, I know what is coming about. And it's the glory of God. And so the last thing is this. Justification by faith, yes, it brings these benefits. It's always been God's plan. And again, you just kind of got to imagine Paul wrapping this up. You hear in all this stuff, like you're saying there's a way for me to be right with God. It has nothing to do with my performance. That sounds too good to be true. Nothing else works like that. Nothing. And so Paul's like, okay, let me show you from the Bible. <laughs> let me show you that this is how God has always worked. The, the reason that God has made a way for us to be right with him, have nothing to do with our performance, is because God works through representatives. And we don't, especially if you're American, 
We think of ourselves as individualistic. We think of ourselves as islands, this is quoting Keller, unto ourselves. So yes, kind of connected to each other, but I rise and fall according to my own choices and successes and failures. But other parts of the world, and most of history realize we are a part of, always a part of something bigger than us. And that's, what the, that's how the Bible sees us. So, right, I'm just uh, Romans 5, uh, 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Uh, verse 18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. As by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many were, were made righteous. Paul says, okay, <laughs> I know you think it's too good, to, too good to be true, but think about the world we live in. Why is there so much suffering? Why is there death in the world? Why are there so many things in my life that I just I wish I didn't do, but I still do them? And he says, I'll tell you why. It's because of Adam. <laughs> because Adam sinned, and when Adam sinned, because we are in him, because he was our representative, death spreads to everybody. And you, it, we at least know that's true. It doesn't matter whether you're nice or cruel, death is coming. It doesn't matter whether you're young or elderly, death is coming. Why? Because one man, and the teaching is we were in him. And when Adam turned from God, who is life itself, it means he chose death, and death is the consequence. If I, if I disconnect from life, I'm choosing death. And then there's guilt and there's shame. And again, we don't like that because we're like, ah, I, I, didn't, I didn't choose Adam. <laughs> But actually, Lindsay's husband, Melvin, I heard him say this. Melvin um, from Malaysia and was uh, having another conversation told this with another man from uh, a different country who's not American. And he was nervous about explaining about how we all inherit Adam's guilt and sin. And so he finally explained it. And this guy, I don't know what country he's from, he heard it and he was like, yep, makes sense to me. And Melvin's like, he's like, well, I mean, in my country, if my father dies with a huge uh, financial debt, I have to pay that debt. Makes sense to me. It makes sense to actually most other cultures. It just, we are hyper-individualistic. And it, Adam, we were in Adam when he sinned. And so that guilt and penalty is ours as well. And if we think, and this is Keller again, if I think, well, that's not fair. I didn't choose him. God fashioned Adam to be your representative perfectly fashioned, to act just like you and I would. And if we really want to say, well, I want to be my own representative, if you want to be your own representative before the throne of God, Romans 1 and 2 have said that's not going to go well. Uh, we, we don't have to go back over that. But it's actually incredibly good news that God deals with through a representative in Adam because within what Romans says is at, at the first act, he was a pattern of one to come. Right? Verse 17, I'll start bringing it close. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. As by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. You see what he's doing? Paul is saying, and Here's, here's what's really good news. God works through representatives. And God became a man in Jesus to be the second Adam. And if you start reading the scriptures this way, you'll realize everywhere Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. There are two men 
who came into this world inherently innocent, inherently righteous, is Adam and Jesus, and they act completely different. Right? Eve is tempted in a garden by, by, by this serpent and rebels, takes things into her own hands. You know who's right there with her? Adam gives into that temptation, says, I think I can figure this out. Jesus is tempted by that same serpent, but instead of being in a garden, he's in a wilderness for 40 days. He's hungry, he's alone, and he resists Satan at every, at every point. Adam gets told, obey me about this tree, this tree of life, and you'll live forever. Jesus gets told, obey me about a tree, and you will actually die. And he does it. Uh, Adam's sin brings sin, shame, and guilt, and death, and we add to it our own. But Jesus' righteousness unto death and his resurrection defeats death. It washes away guilt. It removes shame because he's, he's the better representative. And so Paul is saying, like, look around. You know, you know violence and racism and distrust and death and gossip. You know, you know all of that is everywhere. And it's because of Adam. So if that's true, and if we're hopeless and helpless in Adam, if things have been corrupted, then why can't there be a second Adam that's even better? There's one more powerful than him. And so the reason that justification by faith alone is possible is because God works through representatives and God says, I will take the responsibility on myself in Jesus. And so the question of scriptures really are this, are you in Christ or are you in Adam? That's how, that's how God divides humanity. Not are you good or bad. <laughs> Not are you rich or poor. No, it's are you in Christ or are you in Adam. Trusting in self is still in Adam. But trusting in Jesus means you're in him. And it's more powerful. And so I'll, I'll just end with this story. Uh, pastor friend of mine, Russ Whitfield, I heard him tell this um, there was a soldier back in Vietnam, true story, uh, and he'd gotten so, if you ever read about some stuff in Vietnam, it was happened, he was so badly wounded, so defaced, lost limbs, uh, face disfigured, shell of who he once was. He was actually ashamed because he didn't even look like himself anymore. And so when he finally was coming home, he wrote home to tell his parents that he'd be coming on the seven o'clock train, but he warned them. He said, Mom and Dad, I'm coming home, but I'm warning you, I've been so badly wounded and disfigured that you might not even recognize me. And so he said, if you don't want to see me, I completely understand. Uh, and, and if you don't want to see me, don't put a yellow ribbon on the tree in, in front of the train went to station. And if there's no yellow ribbon, I won't stop. I'll keep going because I'm ashamed of myself. But if you want to see me, put a yellow ribbon on the tree. So you can imagine, right, as that, tree is, I mean, as that train is coming up to the train station, he's wondering, like, man, I am broken, I am disfigured, I am full of shame, what, what's going to happen? And when, and when the train pulls up at the station, it's not just a ribbon. The whole town had wrapped the whole tree and the whole station in yellow ribbons and construction paper saying, please come home. Okay, think about that image that there he was overwhelmed by being bruised and broken and full of shame. He was like, I, I don't know what my parents will do. And they just filled it with yellow ribbons. When you feel like, the, like what Adam and all of us have done, the world, that it's, so, it's filled me with so much shame and so much brokenness and so much death, I'm not sure there's anything that can, that can heal this. 
God hung Jesus in a tree as the yellow ribbon that says, come home. It's more powerful. In Christ is more powerful than anything that Adam has done. It reverses death. It heals. It cleanses. Come home. It's that good. And so you just ask, well, how do I get in Jesus? It's by faith. And faith is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. You just ask him. You just collapse into it. Are you in Adam? Are you in Jesus? Because in Adam is so much better. That's the offer. Let me, let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you for, uh, gosh, thank you for Romans 5 that makes something just so clear that is really hard to believe. Uh, that you've made a way for us to have your smile, for it to be forever on us. And it had nothing to do with how well we've done this week or for 20, 30, 40, whatever years of life, but everything to do with who you are and what you've done for us. Uh, help us to, to receive that the first time or for a thousandth time, uh, to believe that God justifies the ungodly. Uh, that is really good news in Jesus' name. Amen.